Welcome to the third episode of the Elite Prospects podcast with J.D. Burke and Craig Button. I am, of course, J.D. Burke, your intrepid host and editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects and EP Rinkside. And Craig Button is, of course, a man who barely needs an introduction at all, but I'll give you one anyway. He is the director of scouting for TSN, does all their work on the draft. He does a lot of work covering the NHL as well. Uh, basically, if there is something going on in the hockey world, there's about a 75% chance that Craig Button has a pint on it to some extent. <laughs> Craig, how are you doing today? Uh, I, I'm good. And, uh, you know, the one thing about opinions is, is that everybody has one. And then with social media is that everybody has an opinion on your opinion. So, <laughs> you know, the feedback is instantaneous. and it, it, It's good. I, I, You know, J.D., you and I have talked a lot, a lot over the years, but it, it helps me. It helps me think about different things. It helps me understand, hey, I didn't think about that. So, uh, you know, I'm not shy to give an opinion, but I'm, not, I'm also uh, very appreciative of other people's opinions because I, it helps me learn and it helps me understand that there's not just one right opinion. Yeah, no, that's, that's very much the case. And you know what's really funny, Craig, is I find that uh, and sometimes, of course, my my Vancouver Canucks coverage, I mean, they, they were a rebuilding team, they weren't doing especially well. And of course, that meant that the tone reflected that. And of course, some people would go like, Oh, you have no respect for these GMs, these scouts, this, that. And you know, what's funny, Craig, is we talk about the way that our opinions are viewed in the public sphere and the way there's that sort of feedback loop. But in my experience, anyway, when you talk to people within front offices, you talk to people within scouting departments or even analytics groups, they actually respect the people who stand out and kind of give those opinions a lot more than the ones that line up in lockstep with the company message, if that makes sense. You know, I always found myself astonished sometimes when I talk to somebody like the AGM of a team and and I'm thinking to myself, okay, JD, be humble. Don't don't put your foot in your mouth. And the first thing that, that this one asked me was, what would you have done with our pick in this spot? And I go, what? Why, why does he want to hear my opinion? And what you find is a lot of people kind of share your approach, which is the more voices in the room, the better. And honestly, that's how you lead yourself to the best analysis, I find. And and really respecting that process, respecting that that variety of opinions. I think that's that's how you find fertile ground, particularly in the draft. I mean, there's so much room for variance. You know, like you're talking about a part of the industry where 30% is is a really high success rate, right? So anybody who goes into that thinking that they've got all the answers, I think they're in for a rude awakening, you know? Well, and, and, and there you nailed it. I think you absolutely nailed it. My, my dear late friend, Brad McCrimmon, and we're coming up on uh, September 7th when that tragedy happened nine years ago uh, with, Yer- with Lo- uh, Locomotive Yaroslavl. And he, he, he grew up on a farm. I mean, in plenty Saskatchewan. And he always said, he goes, you know what? You got to pre- prepare the soil. You got to plant the crops and then you got to, you know, let, let them, let the seed take, you know, take root. You can't be pulling it up all the time. But if you don't, if you don't know which, which seed is going to turn out to be the best, but you got to plant them all. And I think it's the same thing with, uh, with, with, with uh, draft and prospect analysis and trying to get ideas. You know what, if, if you prepare the soil, and you plant the seeds, then you're going to be able to uh, get a really good crop. 
but you don't know which 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 seed is going to turn out to be the best but you better be prepared to have all the seeds in the ground and i feel the same way about information yeah no absolutely and to that end we're going to talk a little bit about some of the you were talking about the the public kind of feedback loop that we're in the middle of uh in terms of of the the circulating opinions and the circulating questions that people have about the draft about prospects this episode because i was uh I was trying my best to do a Craig Button imitation. I was working, I think, 14 to 16 hours a day there for like a week on the draft guide, which you know what, if, if you work a job that you love, you're never really working a day. And and certainly I'm not complaining at all. Like I, I believe me, I know this comes with the territory, you get to the end of the project, but there are also limitations, of course. And once you're uh, done filing reports at 3.30 in the morning, you find that the the PR departments aren't especially receptive to taking your calls. So <laughs> we, didn't really, uh, we didn't really have many, many guests that were an option for this week, but we're kind of making up for that by getting your feedback. We're going to take some of your questions. And of course, this is going to be a questions episode. So we've got some that we fielded on Twitter. And there's also, of course, the ones that we take in the podcast review section. So if you like the show, if you're a fan of the program, and I mean, if you got to this point in the episode, I feel like it stands to reason that you are precisely in that demographic. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a positive review with a question. And those questions are always put in the, the, the Apple podcast system where we can draw from them at some point down the road. So we're going to start off with one of those, Craig, and we've got three here on Apple podcasts as is. And this is a really interesting one. Uh, who is your top? Sorry, who is your pick to surprise and be taken in the top 10? Which team is going off the board and why? And that's from Joe D 2016. Uh, sent after I think our first episode, Craig. So who do you think is going to be a surprise presence in the top 10? And which team do you think is going to go off the board and why? And I don't know if you want to tie those two questions together, as in which team is going to go off the board in the top 10 or, or treat them separately. I'll leave that in your shoes and then I will, or your capable hands rather, and then I'll take a turn at answering this as well. You know, get that for variety of opinions we were talking about well just so you know i use sneaker balls uh so my shoes are always fresh smelling even if my feet aren't so excellent you know, yeah. that's good to know <laughs> uh you know let me talk about boards first because one thing that we always have to keep in mind is that when we use terms like off the board teams don't go off their board so we may think that we have a board publicly and, and we, we put boards together. And so all of a sudden, a player that might not be rated as high on public boards, now we look at that player as off the board. It, teams don't do that. Teams put their board together with their assessments, evaluations on players and who they feel best fits where they're at. So while we may raise an eyebrow or make a comment about off the board, teams are going right by their own board and that's the only thing that matters for those teams so that, that that's my preamble when we talk about uh players you know i, I really believe it, it it's hard for me to think that there's a player that could end up in the top 10 that we we haven't talked about that you know when i think about the quality of this draft and i think about the quality of player available past 10 you know, so if there was only four or five players, I would sit down and say, geez, you know what? That was a player that kind of came out of uh, maybe a, a spot that we didn't expect. And I'll give you an example. 
The New York Rangers selected Leas Anderson seventh overall. Obviously, they didn't go off their board. That's a guy they really valued and they projected to be a really good player. Now, I think that for the most part, Leas Anderson wasn't a player that was rated as highly as the Rangers had him. And I'm talking about other NHL teams because I had that question. You know, were you surprised by them taking Leas Anderson? You know, through their own evaluation, that's what they thought is. So when I look at this draft and I try to think about a player that is it off the board? Is it not off the board? You know, and I keep coming back to it. And I don't think it's off the board, but maybe other people will think it is off the board. And I'll tell you what, there was also an example of this exact position being considered off the board when he was selected. And I'm talking about Yaroslav Askarov. And, you know, when Carey Price went fifth overall in 2005, there was a lot of like, how can the Montreal Canadiens be doing this? They have Jose Theodore. You know what? Like, why would they take, why would they take Carey Price? Well, they liked him. They thought he was a good goaltender for the future. Didn't matter that they had Jose Theodore. I feel exactly the same way about Yaroslav Askarov. I think he's a, a, a franchise goaltender. I think he's a number one. I think that he is going to be terrific in the National Hockey Now, I know that that's not shared by everybody, and but that would be the player that would that I would answer that question to, that I would say yes, but no. Yeah, that's fair. And, and you know what's interesting is I didn't really think that – I thought you were going to lead into a player that you've been really high on relative to the industry, uh, the consensus draft board that we keep at Elite Prospects, which is basically just a, an average of all the boards to kind of give a sense of where the public stands. And one player I thought you were kind of leading up to was maybe uh, Hendrix Lapierre. And when you were talking about the example, I was like, oh, is he going to cite Barrett Hayden? Is this the setup for Lapierre? And then you totally threw me a curveball with Yaroslav Askarov. You know what's funny, Craig, is, is you kind of alluded to it. And I don't think that the entire NHL views him as the top goalie in this class. Uh, or, you know, maybe the entire NHL is the wrong way to put it, but there are certainly goalie analysts out there, for example, that rate Joel Blomquist out of uh, Finland very highly, uh, you know, and, and they keep them in that same tier. And, you know, a lot of teams, for example, they were really put off by Yaroslav Askarov at the World Juniors. And, of course, you can kind of let that slide if he has uh, a bad tournament because it's a U-20. He's usually not going to be in that situation to begin with, but... The one thing that kind of came up from some of the teams I spoke to was, well, he was also really bad at the Five Nations afterwards. Um, but then you look at his body of work. He also single-handedly basically won Russia the uh, the U18, or, or sorry, took them to silver. Where are my manners? He single-handedly won them the gold at the Holinka, where you and I were both in that rink. I mean, uh, I remember Canada was pressing for about 10 minutes straight, and just the frustration on all of the players, you could see it. Every time Yaroslav Askarov covered the puck, you would just look at a Quinton Byfield. You would look at a Cole Perfetti, just their heads going to the sky. They're rolling their eyes. They can't believe it. And it was kind of the same feeling I had in the stands. It was like, this is unlike any performance I've ever seen in person. Uh, they must have had how many scoring chances, do you think, in the final five minutes alone, Craig? And there was just nothing they could do to get through Yaroslav Askarov. So I'm kind of with you on this one, where I take the entire body of work. I look at the fact that he played in the KHL this year, put up sterling numbers in the VHL, and I go, yeah, you know what? I'm still in his corner. And, you know, a, a lot of people will try and 
talk about the way that the goaltending position is devalued and they're not necessarily wrong uh i've got a lot of time for that but at the end of the day it's the most important position right uh what's what's that saying craig it's if you have goaltending it doesn't matter but if you don't have it it's everything right and i think it does apply and i mean everybody needs a goaltender and you need a good one and and and, you know one of the things i would say too is as if with this is true of any evaluation of any player. If, if you don't have confidence in that player's potential or you don't think that his uh, skills or attributes are as good as you think they should be for, for that spot in the draft or, you know, where you think that player can get to, well, of course you're not going to be high on the player. I mean, it just, I mean, you talk about it follows to reason. So people that aren't encouraged by Escaroff are not going to be high on Escaroff. People that are encouraged by him are going to uh, be very happy with him. You know, when you, when you asked me about Hendricks Lapierre, see, my issue with him, issue, it's not even an issue. See, for me with Hendricks Lapierre, there, uh, as a player and have watched him play, I have zero issues with, with Hendricks Lapierre. But in the absence of being able to understand what the medical report says and, and, and what the, what, you know, with respect to his injury this year, then, uh, you know what, he, he becomes somebody that is, uh, you know, I don't want to say uncertain, but I don't have that, so I can't make that. I will say this. If Hendricks Lapierre's medical report, and I saw it and, and, and had the confidence that I was satisfied that there was no problem there, I'd take Hendricks Lapierre in the top 10 easily. Wouldn't even pause for any type of, uh, of, of, uh, of hesitation. Not even, not, not even the slightest. But yeah, I, I spoke you have to, to factor that in. And that's the, so we can disagree when I say we, anybody can disagree about what his potential is or what it, what, what, what it isn't or a- anything like that. But, but where I'm at is with, in the absence of the medical report, I can project what I see him as a player, but I have to put that caveat there. Yeah, no, that's, that's super reasonable. And I think I just alluded to, we were at, uh, we were both in Breslav for the Helenka Gretzky. We also got to see Hendricks Lapierre at his absolute best. And what a tournament that was. Uh, I just remember you know, at times you see a play so special that you just throw your hands up off of your notebook. Like, what did I just see? And, you know, Yaroslav Askarov gave us about 12 of those moments in the final five minutes of the gold medal game. But Henrik Slapier was doing that through the entire tournament. Uh, it was a really special performance. And I mean, that that was really what put him onto the map as somebody who might go in that first top 10 uh, range. Unfortunate with the injuries. I mean, I spoke to one Eastern Conference team uh, the amount of effort that NHL teams are putting into to finding out the background information and and the degree to which those concussions are going to limit his ability to reach his potential. I mean, Craig, you you alluded to it, right? Like, this is something where I've kind of learned a bit of humility in my first year uh, doing draft analysis and doing scouting. And I always kind of redound to my my thesis, which is that if a team makes a reasonable pick, right? Like they're not going 30 spots off of the the public consensus, let's call it, right? I will always give that team the benefit of the doubt because they have access to that information that we just don't. And it so often is the difference between making that determination, right? Like, so for example, Craig Button is running 
uh, the draft floor and he's got a report that says Lapierre's health is going to be perfect. You have your prior evaluation of him as a top 10 prospect might look off the board to somebody else, but all of a sudden that information makes it a lot more, a lot more feasible. Right. And, and that's a, a really kind of interesting angle to all of these picks. And, you know, it's, it's kind of something that's, that's propped up uh, the, the conversation about James Anderson uh, to kind of take this in a bit of a different direction though, is a lot of people going, ah, oh, well, he doesn't score. Does he really belong in that group in and around the top 10? And, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, absolutely. And if you're the team and you have information about his his character, his makeup, uh, his physical build, it, the interview process is so important. Like if you can use that information to vault him to one of those spots, then all the power to you, right? That's why I'm very forgiving on those scenarios uh, based on some of the stuff I've learned this year. And, you know, I'm sure you've kind of seen that play out in your own experience as well. Well, you, you you do, and you absolutely do over the course of time too. I mean, JD, if I had if I had a dollar for every time on a draft floor, whether I was part of a team or I was part of uh, the media doing what I do, uh, I, I, and, and I heard this comment, oh boy, that sure was a surprising pick. Oh boy, can you believe they took that player there? And, and I mean, I'm talking like I, I'd have $500 in my pocket. <laughs> oh, yeah. I That's imagine. how often I've heard that. <laughs> and I would always be amazed. And, and you know what was even more amazing to me is you would hear the comment from an organization or an individual from an organization. And then you'd hear something from another individual or another organization about that organization making a pick. <laughs> so it was always fascinating to me about saying like, oh boy, okay, so everybody everybody looks at this differently. And, you know, do, do they look at it completely differently? No, they don't. But they they they, they look at it and, and through through different lenses and, and, and not only individually, but collectively. And, and that's just part and parcel of prospect evaluation. Oh, totally, totally. And now that I've uh, taken this this con- or this question rather and pulled it all the way into a million different directions, I suppose I did promise that I would give my answer too. So my pick to surprise and be taken in the top ten, uh, I think that I'm probably going to go with somebody who. I mean, it, is it going to be a surprise? I don't know. He's been such a meteoric riser, but we had him on the program last week, Craig. I think Seth Jarvis has a real shot to go in the top ten. Uh, you know, I, I just think that people are so impressed with his scoring in the second half of the year. Uh, the things I've heard about how he's interviewed with teams, phenomenal, really high character kid. Uh, he has a ton of upside. I think somebody's going to try and, and, and tap into that, especially with the track record that Portland has of just producing phenomenal uh, draft talent, right? Like, I, I think that he's got a real shot to go a bit higher than some people might anticipate. Although there are public rankings who do have him inside the top 10, so it's not a huge stretch. Now, in terms of who I think is really going to go off the board a bit with the first round pick, I think it's going to be one of those teams with three first rounders. So it's going to be New Jersey, it's going to be Ottawa, it's going to be one of those. And, and I think that if you have that much ammunition, I really like that idea philosophically. Like you have the ability, you have the, the, the arsenal of picks, especially if you're Ottawa, you've got nine picks in the first three rounds. Like you can take a swing on, for example, a Hendricks Lapierre, even if you don't have a really fantastic glowing review of his long-term health, if you like his potential, if you like his ceiling and how could you not, like, why wouldn't you take that swing? 
I mean, you have the room for error, you have the margin, why not work with it? I think that there's a team, for example, that could really take somebody that we might consider to be a little bit off the board, maybe a bit earlier than we anticipate. And, and really, I'm, I'm all for it, not just for content purposes, but just philosophically. I like the idea of taking those sorts of swings, and I think that could be a really compelling uh, one that we might see on the draft floor. Who knows? Well, and that's, and, and I mean, where discussions happen and, you know, uh, you, you try to, you try to put your, you try to put your list together with knowing how many picks you have and what the risk is associated with a pick. And I'm not talking about, you know, negative risk. I'm talking about like you, you evaluate, okay, if we take him as opposed to that player, you know, we might only be getting a third line player here or a second pair of defensemen. But, you know, if we take this guy, although we, we, we think it might be a little bit more of a longer shot for him to be a top pair defenseman or a 30-goal scorer, where do we want to go? Well, when you have more picks, it's easier to, to, to say, well, we're, we're, we're going to go for the, for, for the greater upside as opposed to a surer bet. Now, we can debate, debate the philosophical merits of a surer bet versus a better player, you know, but, but that's what goes into these decisions. And that's and, and it becomes easier to 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 take a little more risk when you have more picks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, I selfishly want it for content reasons. I also think that it it really becomes interesting from a you know, as we said, a philosophical perspective and and a team building one. Uh, we got another question here from R Sag. Oh, I hope I'm not butchering this pronunciation. R Desnagas. Uh, let's just go with RDS. Uh, I really enjoyed the first episode, especially the Doug Wilson Jr. interview. I'd love to hear more interviews from executives. Are there leagues or regions where the NHL still tends to undervalue players? Europe, perhaps? Uh, where do you where do you stand on this one, Craig? And I'll let you go first. I've got a really um, I might surprise people with my answer because I come from the analytics sphere. I think a lot of people are going to uh, default to thinking that I I believe Europe is underscouted, for example. But uh, that's not where I'm going to take this. But I'm curious where you will. It's real simple for me. The USHL. Ah uh, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have let you answer. That was my pick. Well, okay, well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've seen it time and time again. Where uh, number one, uh, NHL teams have to do a better job of coverage in in, in the USHL. Uh, a lot of it is lack of coverage. Uh, number one, and you know the, the the players playing in the USHL. You know, if you look at what their uh, path toward, uh, of development is, you know, it's a little bit longer. Most players need more time, not less time. I've seen so many players, you know, from call it after the second round, after the third round, come out of that league that were really good players. I've seen players not get drafted that end up being highly pursued college free agents. And you go back and you go, I watched that player there. Why wasn't he drafted? You know, Tory Krug is a perfect example. Connor Mackey. I mean, th- there are so many. Di- and, and then if you can believe it, J.D., if you can believe it, you know, Brock Besser, uh, uh, Kyle Connor. I-, I can't begin to tell you how many NHL teams, directors of scouting, directors of player personnel responsible for the draft would sit down and say to me, wow, yeah. You have that Kyle Connor really high. I said, yeah, he's really good. Well, it wasn't very good in the USHL prospects game. I go, oh, yeah, okay. 
he wasn't very good in the All-American Prospects game. I said, okay. I said, uh, when else did you see him? Wow, you know, you got to play good in those games. I said, oh, okay. I said, that makes – I remember sitting around a table in a junior hockey rink, CHL junior hockey rink, and I got grilled by five different scouting directors, chief scouts, directors of player personnel about Kyle Connor. And every single one of them had only seen him play twice. Wow. Wow. That's you know a what, failure man? on not on, on you want to go and base it on an on, on an all-American prospects game, which happened in September of that year, you know, when players haven't even played competitively, and now you're gonna go to a USHL prospects game and, and, and that's your only time watching them. Okay. Just just be prepared. See, there's mistakes of of commission as my father would often say, which means you, you worked, you worked, you worked, you, okay, you, you, you like the player, you watched the player, and, and you made an assessment on the player, and it didn't work out. And then there's errors of omission. And he always used to say, errors of omission are unforgivable. Those five people representing five different teams, unforgivable errors of omission. Yeah, no, I, that's I just can... one example. That's just one example I give you on an elite player, Kyle Connor. Yeah, no, I, you know what I remember too, Craig is in his draft year, uh, at Canucks army where I was working at the time, we'd just come up. Well, not we, this is Cam Lawrence and Josh Weisbach and, uh, Reese Jessup, who've all gone on to either work directly within NHL organizations or have gone on to work in the public sphere as consultants for NHL organizations, they created this metric called uh, PCS, Prospect Cohort Success. And what it does is it kind of cuts away from all the biases we have about leagues. It goes, here's how this player scored. Here's their stature, the two things that matter a lot statistically for projecting a player. And why don't we see what their likelihood of success is based on players who fit that bill earlier. So, you know, Kyle Connor, for example, I think he had one of the highest PCS ratings that year. And, and another thing that they found when they did their analytics research was that the USHL, to kind of back up what we're saying, was producing more NHL talent than the QMJHL, but the disparity between the extent to which the two leagues were, were scouted was enormous, and it was enormous in favor of the QMJHL. Now, if you want me to kind of bring this, this full circle... And, and I think you're a bit lower on Brendan Brisson than I am. But like Brendan Brisson is the example this year for me where I go, I think the USHL is heinously underscouted. And, and here is my, my walking example of that. Uh, you know, I, I see some, and, and maybe this will be revealed as false once the draft day comes, right? But I've seen some public rankings where he's at the end of the second round, the beginning of the third, and I'm just like, uh, have you watched this kid play? <laughs> you know, and of course, every like you said, there are errors of omission and commission, and who knows? Maybe I'm the one who's on in the wrong here, right? I think I've got him closer to to 15 or 10 on my personal board. We've got him at 15 at elite prospects, but he's the one player where it's like if he was in a higher visibility league and people were seeing those those one timers, they were seeing the subtle skill of this player. Uh, you know, I, I think like how how could anybody not have him higher than they do? And, and, you know, if you look historically at all of the, the NCAA free agents, and you alluded to this as well, well, where did they come from? They came from the USHL. 
like the, the vast majority of those players came from the USHL. Connor Mackey is an example. Brinson Pasishnuk is another example. Uh, we could go up and down the list. I mean, every year it's the same group of players uh, with very few exceptions. So for me, the obvious answer is the USHL. And, and I've even provided a bit of a, uh, a, a kind of draft relevant example in, in uh, Brisson. But, you know, I think about the Canucks, for example, and where they've had a lot of their real success uh, outside of the first round. Well, it's the USHL. I mean, that's Tyler Madden. That's Adam Gaudet. Uh, Aiden McDonough looks like an absolute steal in the seventh round. He might not pan out. Based on year one, that's more value than you're getting out of the usual seventh round pick, right? It's it's because other teams didn't invest enough in that region and those players were left available to them. And, you know, even if you want to look at another team in Canada that's had a lot of success there and you alluded to it with the Kyle Connor uh, tidbit, it's probably the Winnipeg Jets. And and you look at, for example, Nathan Smith. That's a, that's a hell of a player who went through the USHL. Uh, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot of talent there. And and frankly, it's... I wonder if we're ever going to see NHL teams start to scout it to the extent that the talent exists. It's really starting to, to puzzle me because we've had a long enough period where that league has turned out NHL talent and it doesn't seem to reflect at the draft. Well, I can tell you this. The teams that are scouting it well aren't, aren't telling anybody else they should be scouting it because they feel they have an advantage. Yep. And I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be telling anybody. I've I, I said this often. I said, like, you know what? When you're competing and, and – professional sports is competing you know i'm out there watching players i'm out there like you know what if your pants were on fire i wouldn't tell you they were on fire i'm out here to beat you Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not telling you what i think about a player but it's amazing like like and, and think about this about the ushl too the national team development program which always has excellent prospects there plays in the ushl yep and so yeah. all the, the, the NHL teams wouldn't do it. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a massive, massive uh, – uh, uh, let, let me just pull that back a little bit. There's a significant number of NHL teams that are not covering the USHL very well at all. Yep. No, I, I think that that reflects in the fact that, you know, some of the best US, USHL picks come from later rounds, and that's because they shouldn't be available in those rounds to begin with. So let's move on to uh, another question here. Who are your guys' favorite sleeper prospects for the 2020 draft? And, you know, I, I think when you get into sleeper, that just comes down to the eye of the beholder, right? I think, you know, is somebody a sleeper? Uh, if if the public doesn't have them, you know, in average at the end of the first round, but I've got them in that range, well, maybe, I don't know. But in this case, let's go with anybody outside of the top two rounds to kind of give us a structure to work within. Uh, that that we kind of think others might be perhaps sleeping on a little bit, you know, to the to the extent that we think people might be sleeping on the uh, the USHL to kind of bring things full circle. Who are some of those players for you, Craig? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, the numbers always get to the the, the, the players. It, it really does become a case of of uh, what I would say. You know, what do you value, right? So, you know, again, so I go back and you know, sleeper or a player that may be valued more highly uh, by one uh, organization or group than another. But I had the, I've had the opportunity to, to watch different players, but I think Carter Savoy is, is a really good goal scorer. I think that in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, what he did was significant. And yet I keep hearing about what he doesn't do. 
are you are you getting him to kill penalties? Are you getting him to block shots? He's a goal scorer. And he does it so exceptionally well that I don't even worry about it. So w- when I see that skill and, and that person and, and the way he exhibits it with his mind and how quick he knows how to get into position, that that that's one of the points. Because goal scoring is really hard. It's, it's something that's a, an incredibly hard, difficult thing to do in the National Hockey League. So I want guys that can do it and have demonstrated a real strong knack of doing it. I, I think Carter Savoy is one player that I mentioned right off the bat. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, what's funny, Craig, is I think we might have our first uh, evaluation impasse of the program. I am, uh, I am one of the, the Carter Savoy uh, doubters. And you know what, that just, to me, screams of an opportunity to kind of show our work and, and have a, an evaluation kind of I don't know, bring our different uh, differing viewpoints here. So for me, one of the things with Carter Savoy that has kind of, uh, you know, I guess cooled me on his game a bit, uh, his off the puck skating pat- uh, patterns, right? Like I-, I see a player who doesn't move his feet a lot. I see a player who doesn't support the puck in transition. I see a player who has a phenomenal shot. He has great hands, uh, but does he have the offensive instincts necessary to produce? And I, I've had such a tough time evaluating Carter Savoy that I actually made sure, like, uh, one of the things they did this year, Craig, was uh, whenever there was a cheap flight, like, it meant so much to me that I, I did the the job right this year, and I made sure that I was uh, scouting in arena. So I remember I, I saw a cheap flight offer to Edmonton, and I went, oh, well, that's, that's cool. I can see Jake Neighbors. I can see Savoy. I can see Benning. I can get a read on Course and Kuhlemans. All right, I'm in. And, and I made sure to take that trip in January. Uh, I actually got frostburn for my trouble too. So that was a, a great little trip to Edmonton in the middle of winter. But I got to see Carter Savoy live again outside of the context of the World Junior A Challenge. And some of these issues just kept arising for me. And, and I kept saying to myself, like, if I'm an NHL team and I'm looking at a certain player, right, they, they often kind of have this philosophy, at least in, in my experience when I speak to them, of saying, do we want this player in our system? Uh, you know, not, not do we value them relative to the rest of the league? It's do we want this player in our system? And the question that I, I couldn't answer was precisely that. And, and it was just, I saw so many red flags and, and particularly the lack of off the puck skating, I thought was really concerning and just somebody who, I mean, like, like you said, you're not asking him to kill penalties. And the one most important dimension in hockey is goal scoring. But still, it was a little bit striking to me the extent to which he was a one-dimensional player. Uh, where, where do you kind of stand on some of those those things that I've brought up? And you know, let's uh, let's go to war here in the friendliest way possible. But but but, but <laughs> when we talk about war, you're also asking me about sleepers. Yeah, so, yeah, so, that's a good point. So, so, so I mean, I, I, I'm not talking about somebody rated in the top two rounds, or but based on your board or whatnot, right? I'm talking about a player deeper down in the draft that I think could be a sleeper. And, and, I'm not, and I'm saying it because of the skill he possesses. He, he's a top-notch goal scorer. So I, I, obviously you go and you, and you spend time with the player. You spend time with trying to help him understand, okay, here's what we see in you. What do you see in your game? What do you see in your areas of strength? What do you see in your areas where you have to improve, right? You know, you know talking, you know, why does Denver University, you know, who, who have done a terrific job of developing players, you know, what do they see in them? And, and, and what's, the, what's the path he's going to have there? I'm drafting for the skill. And if I'm satisfied on the person, 
I'm saying that's a skill that is something that I think is pretty significant and stands out. So it's not about disagreeing with your assessment on the scouting, but but I'm going back to what I think his his what I call the calling card. Here's his calling card. How well does he do it? I don't think there's many players that do it better. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. And and as always, Craig, you are uh, there's no baiting you into a fight. Even a really good faith uh, scouting one, <laughs> you just would not take the bait there. But no, I think you're right, and and that is a good point, right? Like if he had all those issues ironed out that I observed, well, would he be a, sp- a sleeper pick? Probably not. Uh, so that's, I guess, we kind of. Uh, we kind of we resolved it. So yes, okay. we went through that impasse. We, we resolved the conflict there. So I'm going to give you another player that I think could be a really good player that I really like. Now I've had the opportunity to watch him since he was 15. And this is, he ends up in a scenario. Now, again, we're talking about players, you know, past what, 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 you know, I'm just saying generally top two rounds. And that's Evan Veerling. Evan Veerling was a top player, played with Quentin Byfield with the York Simcoe Express. You know, got drafted by Flint. The situation wasn't great. He ended up in Barry. But what I saw once, he, and, and I saw it last summer at the under at the under eighteen camp in Calgary, where I thought he really, what you know, it had progressed to a point where he was showing those capabilities that made him the second overall pick in the OHL draft, and things that I certainly liked about him when he was in Midget. But when he ended up in Barry, I, I, I thought he just kept building on that. You know, the ability to, uh, you know, make plays. He's competitive. He, he distributes the puck well. He understands where to be on the ice. He, he's tenacious, uh, you know, with respect to his competitive competitiveness with and without the puck. So, again, I know he had some injuries. I know he had some, some you know, some I don't want to say problems because that's not the right way to portray it, but like, you know, adapting on a team that wasn't very good, that was trying to find its way and he was trying to find its way. It it didn't work out, but certainly ended up in Barry was a real boon to him. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that answer. I, uh, no, no impasse there. No, no need to resolve any conflicts on that one. Got a lot of time for Evan Beerling's game. Uh, you know what? One player that kind of is, I, I don't even know if he's a sleeper, uh, I think it depends on who you talk to. He's either a do not draft or or somebody who's worth a second round pick. Uh, very little middle ground is is Jean Luc Foudy. I you know I I can't I can't quit Jean Luc Foudy. Uh, you know it's like I uh, no matter how many times I I've heard about the red flags, no matter how many times I've looked at his production and stagnate, no matter how many times I've had NHL teams tell me he's a complete uh, write off. And there are teams that feel the exact opposite as well, right? And that's just par for the course with the NHL, just so we make it clear that we're not completely uh, on the attack here on John Luke Foodie. But I, I've got so much time for his game, Greg. And and if you can skate like John Luke Foodie, doesn't that give you just such an elevated floor? I feel like at the very least, his skill set, uh, his his defensive commitment, like he could be a 13th forward at the bare minimum, right? Like to me, that is the starting point. But if you can find a team with a strong development staff and development is always, always going to matter so damn much um, when it comes to all these prospects. But I think there are certain prospects who need a little bit more hands-on development than others. I think Jean-Luc Foudy is, is the perfect example of that. Like if he goes to a team with a strong developmental framework, they get him to attack the middle more. They get him to stop overhandling the puck. They get him to stop putting his head down whenever he crosses the blue line. 
you know, of course, these aren't very simple fixes. And that's that's why he would be a sleeper pick, right? In the same vein as, as Carter Savoy. But I just look at the ability to find teammates through traffic, through levels, to carry the puck, to impact the game and transmit uh, transition. Like he, he's got the full complement of skills to work with as a foundation. And I, I really think like when you talk to people at the beginning of the year, the question was, was somebody going to be able to bring out a top 10 talent out of John Luke Foodie? And now it's like, is he going to go in the first two rounds at all? I think the talent is still there. And one of the things that I kept coming back to when I'd watched the Windsor Spitfires this year was like, that is not an environment that was especially conducive to his game. And, and I look at his line mates in particular, it's like, you know, whatever you think about Will Quile, whatever you think about, uh, you know, Daniel D'Amigo or, or for example, um, why am I blanking on this? Igor Afanasyev, they weren't especially mobile players. And so I'd see shifts where Jean-Luc Foudy is doing, uh, he's doing laps in the offensive zone and, and passing lanes. It's like, I can see these developing plays, but his line mates often couldn't. And you could see the frustration on Foodie's face because in theory, there are the pockets of space for somebody like a Will Quile to enter and become a significant offensive scoring threat but they just remained completely stationary. And so if you've only got one, one out of your three forwards actually moving their feet, there's a bit of a disconnect in, in, within that group and their ability to produce. And I think, like, I'm not going to hold that against Jean-Luc Foodie, am I? And I just say to myself, if he was in a different environment this year, I think he could have put up a lot more points, and I think our perception of him might be a bit different. I could be wrong, but that's where I'm at with John Luke Foodie. So I, I'm going to share. I'm going to share a story uh, with you uh, from Jim Neal, who was assistant general manager in Detroit when they made this pick, and the pick was Darren Helm, and Darren Helm was an exceptional skater with the Medicine Hat Tigers and a real catalyst-type player. And, and Jean-Luc Foudy is, is an excellent skater and somebody I would call a catalyst-type player. Can kill penalties, can be disruptive, can create opportunities. Anyway, I asked Jim Nill, you know, Darren Helm, you know, gets drafted in the, I believe it was the fourth round, might have been the fifth round. And then, you know, he, he put up some, some some numbers in Medicine Hat, obviously he became part of the uh, Detroit Red Wings, Stanley Cup champion, you know, playing in, 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 a, in a certain role. So I asked Jim, I said, Jim, you know, you draft Darren Helm and you're looking at all that skating and your competitiveness and how good it was. And then he starts to score. Did, did you did you think that he could become a scorer in the National Hockey League and a, and a, and a, and, and a player that could play in that area? And this is what Jim told me. He said, no, he said, we looked at, we, we evaluated Darren Helm in this regard. We, we thought that his skating was high-end NHL. We thought that his competitiveness was high-end NHL, that he could be a penalty killer, he could be that catalyst-type player. And, and we were, sh with physical maturity, we thought that he could, you know, achieve that. We were 90% confident that he could be uh, a lowercase Chris Draper type. He said, we allowed that maybe the offense would come or maybe it could be there, but we only gave it about a 20 to 25% chance of that occurring. The reason I give you that example is I think that's a big part of evaluation and a big part of understanding what a player can be. It's not so much about saying, 
Can he score? Can he be? It's about saying, what are the chances that he can be that? And what are we happy with what he is? And when you describe Jean-Luc Foodie, I don't think there's any question that, this, that, that he's got high-end NHL skating ability. He, he, he's got high-end catalyst and competitiveness in his game. And now you have to understand, to your point, as you described, okay, could he be more of a scorer with that type of uh, skill set, with the skating and the competitiveness and ability to hang on to the puck and those types of things? Perhaps you can, but but you got to try to put it into a into what I would call uh, a, a real significant area of what is achievable. Not, not what not what would be ideal or the greatest hope, but what's really achievable. And and the reason I give you that Darren Helm example is because. You know, like Jean-Luc Foudy, we, we at times want to get, you know, really, really excited about what the offensive capability could be. But keeping everything in reality, if you, if you know exactly what you're getting at, at the very least and you value it and you like it, then everything else just becomes, you know, uh, you know a, a, a benefit that maybe you weren't counting on that he achieves. So... To your point with Jean-Luc Foudy, like know what you're getting and, and know at the very minimum, he's got NHL qualities that can help your team. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing that some of the teams who are are more bullish relative to the, the industry standard have to say. It's like, well, if you're writing this kid off entirely, then you're missing some NHL-ready tools. You know, that's what they come back to. It's like he's already an elite NHL skater. Uh, that's That's... A hell of a place to start. I mean, if you if you can't skate, you can't play. If you can, you can have a hell of an impact. And I think that gives Jean Luc Foudy a really nice foundation to, to to build from. And you know, if if he can get to the right team with the right development staff and the right framework in place, I think he could really develop into something pretty special. Or you know what, like you said, if you if you take into account the baseline and you just allow for that possibility, I still think you're in a pretty good place. Now, I know we're getting up against it, uh, Craig, in terms of time. So I'm going to do some rapid fire from Twitter questions since we've gone through all of the, uh, all of the ones on our Apple Podcasts uh, reviews. So let's start with this one here uh, from David Quadrelli. Who could, be, who could the goalie be that the Canucks are targeting in the third round? Uh, you know, I, I doubt he'll be available there. I think that Joel Blomquist is someone that the organization is uh, pretty high on. I, I know that for a fact, and uh, rightly so. He's a hell of a prospect. Um, he he kind of struggled at the Holinka Gretzky, but you put up a 931 in the, the Finnish junior circuit, that's going to serve you pretty well. So uh, if they're looking for a goalie in the third round, I would have to imagine that's the one they're looking at. Craig, do you have a different answer on that one, or...? Well, you know, they drafted Mikey DiPietro, Michael. I hate calling him Mikey. Not, not, not well, that that's it. Yeah, but, but Michael. And, uh, you know, and, and Michael is, is a goaltender that has qualities that you certainly love uh, in a goal. But the reason he was drafted in the third round was because he, you know, the, the goaltending, you know, bar for height, you know, he was, he was below that. So, you know, but the Vancouver Canucks said no. One of the goaltenders that I really, really like in this draft. And, you know, he, he's going to go to university and, he, and, and I think that he's got a chance to, uh, to continue to progress. And, and he may be in the same boat as, uh, as uh, 
as Mikey DiPietro, and that's uh, Devon, uh, Devin Levi. Oh man, he was so good at the World Junior A Challenge. He, but, but he was he was great in Lac St. Louis Midget, and growing, he's just continuously made his game better and better and better and better. And you know, I look at him, I look at I look at Devin with the athletic ability. I think he's got exceptional hockey sense, which I think is is, a, is an essential requirement to be a really good NHL goaltender. And you know, he, he he's going and he's going to develop. And you know, in Northeastern, that's what I believe. And I, I, I think, now, I don't know if you have to take him in the third round, but I really like Devin Levi. And, you know, I also go back to last year's draft. And, you know, I kicked myself, and, and, and I do, because I always liked him. And, you know, I should have had him rated higher than I did, and I didn't. And that's my own mistake. But Dustin Wolf, who played in Everett, and the Calgary Flames drafted in the seventh round, I think he's got a legitimate chance to be an NHL starting goalie. And yeah. when you watch, when I watched Dustin, you know, in the years previous, and then I watched him this year just dominate, and now I look at Devin Levi, you know what? I, I, I'm just not going to write those players off because of height. And, you know, it seems to me that we've moved into an area with goaltenders now where – you know, height is becoming something that people are writing them off. Like we used to write off small centermen and small defensemen. And I think we're going to get some some goaltenders that are going to be able to develop that may not fit the ideal goaltender. When I say ideal, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but they're not going to fit the the the, the goaltending bar that, that some teams put on you know, a minimum height. It's like going to Disneyland. You can't go on the ride unless you get, you're, you're this height. I, yeah. I, I think there's exceptions. Yeah, no, I, I think Devin, Devin Levi is a awesome answer. We, uh, we put him on our board. I think he's in the, the fourth round. And I mean, that, that performance at the world junior A challenge, I mean, that, that Canada East roster, you know, I, I don't want to take away from it. You don't get to the gold medal game if you didn't work your tail off, right? But let's let's be honest here. Like that team got as far as they did because Devin Levi willed them to that point in the tournament. And and do you want to talk about special goaltending performances this year? We can talk about, uh, you know, Askarov at the Holinka Gretzky. We can talk about Dylan Grand, I thought, played really well in that tournament as well. Um, but I think that right at the top of the list has to be Devin, Devin Levi at that tournament because it was just so unbelievable what he did, especially on such an undermanned roster relative to the other teams. So, Do you remember the right, game uh, against the, uh, the USA? Sorry? Do you remember the game against the USA? Oh, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> that, was, that was unreal. <laughs> every single USA player had to go through extensive neck adjustments after that game because all they were doing was shaking their head going back to the bench. Yeah, no, it was it was funny too because the disconnect in in talent between oh. between the goaltender and the rest of the roster on Canada East too, like you could sense the frustration because yeah. it was like, how many more scoring chances can we produce? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, and I and and, and it happens. I, I I remember talking to Pat Brisson because Brenda Brisson was there, and and Pat said, I remember Pat saying to me after the next day, he just said he goes, it it, it really is unbelievable what the what, what the young guy did and you know you, you can't other than putting the puck behind him i don't know what else the usa could have done 
we lose you for a second there, Craig? I don't think so. You got me? Okay, we got you again. Sorry, yeah. But no, I said, yeah, other, I, than, other than putting the puck behind Devin Levi, I don't know what else the USA could have done. Yeah, I mean, putting the puck in Jerome Bettis' arms and having him just bulldoze his way through. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's an idea. That might not be a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a lot about analytics, but what about cross-sport uh, ideas? Let's really get get adventurous. Uh, you know what's funny, too, is Brendan Brisson was one point away, I think, from setting a new World Junior A Challenge record in that game, and he must have gotten stopped by him like a, a hundred times. So... Uh, yeah, that, that must be a performance that definitely stings in the, the Brisson household because uh, Devin Levi was just not having it. He was not willing to let him break that record. Um, moving on to our next question here. How do you think this defensive class stacks up to most years and how many defensemen do you think go in the first round versus how many should? Craig, I'll let you tackle that one. Okay, well, Tony Ferrari. Okay, well, we know that <laughs> we know that Drysdale and uh, Sanderson are definitely going in the first round, and then I think as you start to move through it, you know, you, you look at Kate Brule, you look at uh, uh, Braden Schneider, uh, you look uh, like I think Justin Barron, like you know, hit, hit his blood clot, you know, uh, you know prevented him from playing. I, I think that he might be one of those players that becomes a should have uh, first rounder. I love Jeremy Poirier. I think, again, he's a player that to me is a first rounder. If he doesn't, I think we'll be looking down the road in time as a player that should have been, you know, you got, you got Helgi Grands, uh, who, who, who's a, who's a, who's a really good rangy Swedish defenseman. And then, you know, like you know, Ryan O'Rourke, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not as high on Ryan O'Rourke as a prospect in, 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 ahead of other players as maybe others. But, I mean, could he be a first-rounder? Yes. Should he be? I don't know. Damon Hunt, another player I'm not as high on. But certainly, you know, I know there's people that are. You start to look back, and I, the players that I think that, that you might be looking back down the road on that, that I think – you know, where's Yoni or Yermo going to end up? Where is Emil Vero going to end up? Where's Kuznetsov and Mahat Madulin going to end up? You know, all those guys very well could not be first-round draft picks, but we could be looking down the road in time and going, geez, they should have been drafted higher. You know, you look back to, uh, you know, Roman Yossi being drafted in the second round and Shea Weber being drafted in the second round, and they're, they're, they're just P.K. Subban. I mean, they're just a couple of, a few examples. So I think the draft has some really good defensemen, Lucas Cormier, who I don't want to forget about. But there's some really good defensemen in this draft. And I think that we're going to look back and see some players not drafted in the first round that you say probably should have, not probably should have been, should have been drafted in the first round. That's just the way it goes. But I, I see, I've said this about this draft. I think there's quality. And how do I define quality? How do I define good level player? You know, top six forwards, that are going to produce offensively defensemen that are going to play in your top pair, your second pair. And I think that goes into the second round. So when you can get those types of players, I think that that speaks to a pretty deep draft. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really fair point. I mean, I, I think you basically took all of my answers. There, Craig, <laughs> but I, uh, I don't I'm have, I don't really have your notes in front of me. You know, you have, I, yeah. I, I have a pill for uh, that draft guide. <laughs> I shouldn't have sent that. But uh, you know what? I'm going to throw one name into the mix. Okay. Who I don't think belongs in the first round, but might 
Intel suggests strongly is going to go in the first round, that is Tyler Clevin. And, uh, you know, he, he's not a player that we have a great affinity for at Elite Prospects. Uh, got a do not draft grade. But, you know, one of the really compelling arguments, and this was definitely one of those moments, Craig, where I was like, oh, okay, I guess we don't know as much as we think we do in the public sphere, was I had a, a team scout who was defending their affinity for Tyler Clevin to me because I was like, what are you seeing there? Like, because we, uh, we have Mitch Brown who tracks uh, statistics manually and he had Drew Camesso completing more percentage, a higher percentage of passes in the defensive zone than Tyler Clevin, which for us was like, ooh, that's probably not ideal. And he goes, well, okay, let me, let me counter that. Tyler Clevin is very new to high-level hockey. He comes from a really small town he hasn't played a lot against high-level competition. In fact, this might be like his first or second year. Uh, Tyler Clevin, we are not going to, to be looking at him several years down the road and going, we drafted him as a puck-moving defenseman. Now, he can skate relatively well, and that's something that even we would concede at Elite Prospects, even in, in consideration of our ranking, right? But uh, they, they raised some interesting points. They're like, it's going to be a longer-term development, but he's going to a perfect place for that in North Dakota. And, and if you have that really strong base, like he's huge, he's six foot four, I think, six foot four, six foot five, and you can skate like that, like that's a hell of a place to start from. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people will look at his point totals in the national team development program, and that will help them land probably on the elite prospect side of the equation. But the one thing to always consider with the national team development program, and Craig, because you you scout the USHL as much as it deserves, which is more than the NHL gives credit. We're both on board there. Uh, they, they basically roll their pairings one, two, three, four, right? Like there's no uh, workhorse defenseman in that group, which means that players who might otherwise get opportunities to produce in a different environment, uh, you know, they, they don't get that with the national team. And so that was an argument we've been making for uh, Jake Sanderson when people are like, well, he doesn't have the offensive potential as, as a Jamie Drysdale. And it's like, well, no, he probably doesn't. But I think the cap between the two isn't quite as large as their numbers would suggest. And I think that there's probably a little bit of merit to that for Clevin as well. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I don't, here's what I see in Tyler. And, and you know what, I see, a, I see a, a guy that skates well and is competitive and everything. But like Derek Forbert, was a first-round draft pick and a high first-round draft pick in the top half of the draft. Jared Tenorti was a first-round draft pick. They're bottom-pair defensemen. I'm not drafting bottom-pair defensemen in the first round. No. No. So I, there's been – I'm just saying that, like, you know, like I watched I watched Derek. I watched uh, 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 Jared. I watched them. You can see what they're – I'm not drafting them in the first round. Simple as that. I'm not – well, neither am I, and I think that's as good a place as any to end. I, I think we got a good, a good episode in. A lot of uh, any other questions? We got a couple minutes. We got a couple minutes. Sure. Okay, I was just trying to work with your schedule yeah. here, and I think we can take another question on. Uh, all righty, here. This one comes from Luke on Twitter. Hey guys, when evaluating goalies, what are some of the traits you look for that they must have in order to be able to succeed at the pro level? Uh, oh boy, I should have read this one before I answered. Goalies are so difficult, Craig. Uh, <laughs> are they? We, uh, we are actually, they? Are we, I, I, they are for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, uh, I consulted with, we got Catherine Silverman to do all of our goalie scouting reports because I was like, 
look, if I if I have to write these for the draft guide, and I wrote just about everything else for it, but if I have to write those for the draft guide, every single report is going to be athletic, butterfly, goaltender, uh, you know, very, I don't know, good laterally, right? So I'm going to let you answer this one instead, because I'm sure you'll have a much more uh, satisfying answer on how to evaluate goaltenders. I'm really lucky. I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. I'm really lucky. I, I worked with Tim Bernhardt for a long, long time. He, he was scouting director, former goaltender. He you know, worked in Dallas with us for a long time and spent a lot of time after I'd left there. Arizona, and I learned a ton from Tim Bernhardt about goaltending. Like I never played the position, so I don't I don't have the feel for the position. But you know, he really helped me understand different elements, and and and, and really, quite frankly, have confidence in, in evaluating goaltenders. Now that being said, you know, I think I mean. Like, I, I don't know why I always feel compelled to say this. You know, you, you need a baseline of skill to be a good NHL goaltender. We know that. You need explosive quickness. You need good, you need good footwork. You, 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 need that, you need that lateral agility. So, so we all know that, right? So, so I say, I think what is essential to being a top-level NHL goaltender is hockey sense. If you don't have hockey sense and you can't read the play and you don't understand, you know, where the next challenges are coming from and, you know, how to close down a play, you know, because you read it so well. Marty Berger, the reason he was so damn good and arguably one of the best ever, he, there was never a book on Marty Berger because Marty Berger didn't let anybody get a book on him. He had the book on you. He read the play as, as well as anybody. Dominic Hoshik had a very different style than Marty Berger, but he was exactly the same. They had the athletic ability. They had this, the, the requisite skills. Their hockey sense was off the charts in with respect to it. And I think that's what makes elite goaltenders. And I see a lot of goaltenders that have skill and, and, and their technique looks good. But if you can't read the play and you don't know where to be at the right times or where the next challenge is coming from, it doesn't matter how good your skill is. And I think that that is, for me, I, I want to watch where goaltenders, you know, how they read the play, how they react to the play, how quickly, obviously, the quickness comes into that. But you have to have hockey sense to be able to be a good goaltender. I don't think it's mentioned nearly enough. Fair, fair. And I think that Catherine would probably agree with you and would probably hate my answer if I gave one. So I'm going to pass up that opportunity. <laughs> oh, uh, that's well, terrible. It would, hey, you know what? I'm just being honest, right? Okay. Like, I think you, you got to know your strengths, your weaknesses, and, and goaltenders are a different breed um, in, in so many different respects. So I, uh, I, will, I will let the pros opine on that one. Uh, we got another question here. Uh, do we got time for one yes, more? Yes, we Craig? do. Yep. All right, perfect. And the question is basically, when is it acceptable, if ever, to draft for the best, uh, sorry, to draft for position rather than the best player available? Like, does it, is there a point in the draft for you where you look at that and you go, okay, well, I can understand this as an organization. And I, I know, I think you're going to go where I'm thinking of going here too, which is that teams don't think that way. Teams go off of their board and that they set their board and they stick to it. But what about you? Do you have a, a differing take on this one or, or where do you stand on that? Well, I, I think you always have to be mindful of your prospect cupboard. You know, what shelves are stocked, what shelves aren't stocked. It would be great. Honestly, it would be great if you could just look and go, 
well, that player is better than that player who's better than that player who's better than that player, and that's the best player available. It, it doesn't work like that. You know what? There's, there's always a group of players you're considering, always. And it doesn't matter if you're picking at six or you're picking at 26 or you're picking at 106. There's always a group of players. So, there, like, if, and I, you've heard me say this before, J.D., when you're looking at a group of players and, and you feel comfortable with that group of players, well, now you can make that decision by looking into your prospect cupboard and going, you know what? We need to draft a defenseman here. We don't have enough defensemen in our prospect system. So, you know, we got this group of players. We have a, we have a left winger, a right winger, a center, a goalie, and a defenseman. They're all in that same group. Let's take the defenseman. So that's when I, I would say yeah, that, that you can look at it. But, I mean, you're always going to have a preference, you know, uh, in the first round, the second round, the third round. But, but I think you can introduce the position, you know, at different points uh, by looking at your prospect cupboard and looking at those shelves and which ones are stocked and which ones. Because you got to keep in mind, too, you might, you might have – six defensemen in your in your system that you've signed a contract or you're going to sign to a contract they're going well okay we're going to block somebody's development here because he's not as good as that guy and and yet we only have one left winger here and we're in this group where we have left that's that's how i would do it i don't think there's a hard and fast answer i think that you have to uh put the whole equation together to make that decision. But, you know, when it becomes clear that this guy's clearly better than that player, if you believe that, then take him and, and not be worried about it. Yeah, no, that's fair. And, and like another point that I always make when it comes down to, you know, oh, you have to draft for this position right now in Vancouver, for example, it's they have to draft a defenseman with their first pick. They have to. I, I think like, okay, yes, that is definitely a weak point in their prospect pool. Uh, but but also, how do you know in four or five years, especially in the Canucks case, because you're you're talking about a team that's picking what in the seventies? <laughs> that's going to be their first pick. Like I can't see that defenseman making the NHL, even in a best case scenario, in in three maybe four years. How do we know at that point that the Canucks are still going to be short of defensemen? Right? There's free agency. There's trades. Uh, there's prospects already within the system who might hit another level. Like. So much can change between the time that you draft a player, and this even applies sometimes to the back half of the first round. So much can change in the time it takes between that draft pick and when they're ready to play NHL hockey that you might not even have that as an area of weakness on your roster by the time that this comes around. I mean, it's not like the NFL. In the NFL, it's, it's sink or swim. Uh, you get drafted and you're expected to start, and if you're not starting within year one, year two, maybe year three, uh, well, you're you're just going to be a special teams player for the rest of your career, and it's just that simple. The NHL, it's it's a little bit different. Uh, you gotta you gotta give these players time, and I think with that time comes uncertainty about the future, and that can be for the better or worse, of course. But uh, ultimately, it means that you don't need to to really worry about position too much specifically, at least not in my estimation. Okay, so so I'm gonna give you a quick example here, right? Like, and, and I'm gonna use a baseball example. So. Uh, Aaron Judge, he was drafted by the Oakland Athletics. He's from that area of the country. He was drafted by the Oakland Athletics as a high school player late in, the, in a Major League Baseball draft. So they were, they were looking at somebody that was probably really raw athletically. And, you know, 
had potential and obviously as a high school player, they were prepared to uh, draft him and perhaps even approach them about signing. Aaron Judge said, no, I'm going to go to school. So obviously with the way the draft works in the Major League Baseball is that you now, uh, you re-enter the draft. So the Oakland Athletics were looking for a big, strong, probably guy that showed some power capability. Well, by the time he went through his college and became out and became into the draft again, he became a first-round draft pick to the New York Yankees. And, you know, he still had to spend some time in the minors. But, you know, everybody's looking for a power hitter, right? So the Oakland Athletics drafted him. They couldn't sign him. But, you know, you, you want to stock those shelves in your prospect cover to try to give yourself the best opportunity uh, when they have progressed and time has unfolded for them to be able to come in and contribute to your team. And so the reason I bring up Major League Baseball draft and the NHL in, in conjunction with it is because you're drafting 17 and year old players. And if you're expecting a 17 or 18-year-old player in the vast majority of cases, in the overwhelming vast majority of cases, to come in and contribute to your team, good luck. Because uh, what you got to be doing is, is looking at where their development path is in three to five years in the vast majority of cases. And that's, what you that, that's why you have to take a, a projection view and not be worried about what you're looking, what you're looking for today. It's not going to be answered in the draft. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and I think one that we both agree on. And yeah. you know what? For the Oakland Athletics, hey, they probably wouldn't have been able to afford Aaron Judge anyway. So <laughs> it all worked out for everyone. <laughs> but but they might have been able to afford him by drafting him late, right? Yes, and, yes. And recognize it where he's at, right? And and, yeah. and that's good scouting. Like they recognize something in him there, right? And and everything. But by the time he had developed it. Boom! He's a first-round draft pick, and to your point, probably not, uh, probably not a player they can afford to sign. Yeah, not within the budget anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, within the budget, right? <laughs> All right, Craig. Well, this has been a, a great episode. I really enjoyed putting this one together. Uh, just, just basically riffing, riffing on prospects, riffing on the draft, and you know what? I had so much draft content. Uh, swirling in, in my brain after putting together that draft guide that, you know, I, I needed the outlet. I needed it. And uh, I was really happy to put together the episode with you. I hope everyone else enjoys it as much as we did putting it together. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed the program, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, a review. If you leave a question in the review, we will eventually answer it on the program. I can promise you we're going to have some really great guests in the lead up to the draft. This week was just a little bit hectic but we're going to be back on track with that for the next episode. I have been J.D. Burke. He has been Craig Button of TSN. And thanks for listening to the Elite Prospects Podcast. Hey, this is Rob from the Elite Prospects Podcast. I'm the producer. Uh, if you guys are a product or brand or a company that would like to sponsor the Elite Prospects Podcast, let me know uh, via email at robert.love at eliteprospects.com or just message us on any of our social media platforms. We'll get back to you and we can talk about uh, the next steps. Thanks.